Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It is still an exciting time of the year for sports, ladies and gents. Sophomore sensation Lamar Jackson is redefining what it means to be a dual-threat quarterback in the National Football League. Odds on Jackson to win the MVP race were at 50-1 to to begin the season and have since plummeted, making my bookie's prop selection more attractive than ever. And then this weekend, we have one of the most stacked UFC cards in a long time. Conor McGregor returns to the octagon to take on Cowboy Donald Cerrone in a dream fight. Highly anticipated right in the betting capital of the world, Las Vegas, Nevada. And without a doubt, people are going to be looking to get in on the action. We have the best place for you to go. My bookie, if you're the kind of guy who likes to bet a little to win a lot, try a parlay. For instance, if you like a couple of the big favorites this weekend, parlays are perfect because they let you bet multiple games together for a much bigger payout. My bookie has more lines and better odds for the player than any other sports book around. And if you join right now, right this second, my bookie will match your deposit halfway all the way up to $1,000. That means if you deposit two grand right now, you get an extra grand and free money to play with. All you have to do is use our promo code BLV, that's capital BLV, to activate the offer. Once again, that promo code is BLV to get your extra cash from my bookie. Bet, win, get paid, my bookie. Hey there, everybody. It's Friday, January 17th, 2020, and the Houston Astros are in deep, deep, deep trouble. I think a lot of people thought the worst of it was going to be over on Monday when Rob Manfred laid down the gavel on A.J. Hinch and Jeff Lunau with their one-year bans in the MLB, and then Jim Crane fired them immediately afterwards, and then Alex Cora was let go by the Red Sox, and then Carlos Beltran, who didn't even manage a single game, was let go by the New York Mets. That was going to be the worst of it. Until Thursday's news dropped another bombshell, which could be 10 times worse than the scandal that's been going on since November, and that's the rumor that both Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman were wearing Bluetooth devices, buzzers, if you will, underneath their jerseys to indicate which pitch was coming. There's pictures of Altuve possibly wearing something underneath his jersey in 2017, and there's also speculation that he wore a device during the 2019 ALCS against the Yankees where he hit the walk-off home run to win the pennant. Major League Baseball stated that there was no evidence to support this claim, though, at least not as of this moment. But it doesn't look super excellent for the Strohs. I mean, it doesn't look splendid. It doesn't look commendable. It doesn't look up to snuff, but it's what we're going to be stuck with for the moment, at least right now. And we'll dig more into the sign-stealing drama as well as the fact that it seems like everyone is just tattletailing on each other in baseball right now. I mean, this really blew up with Mike Fires throwing his former team under the bus. And then A.J. Hinch and Jeff Liu now both basically pointed fingers at Alex Cora for being the founding father of the sign-stealing scheme in 2017. And now Scott Brocious's kid is saying Mike Trout used HGH throughout his career. So, I mean, it's getting a little childish, a little juvenile, a little frivolous, but we'll talk about it anyway. We also have our Flashback Friday interview of the week. Today, it's Los Angeles Angels television broadcaster Victor Rojas. We're talking big fly apparel, getting his start in broadcasting after playing in the Angels organization. Hall of Fame dispute for Barry Bonds and Reggie Jackson, and oh so much more on episode 143, presented by Belly Up Sports. Hey, if you're going to a game, if you're going to a concert, if you're going to see a movie, go to TickPick.com. You know why? You'll get a $10 discount if you use the promo code OSHOW10, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-10, for $10 off using TickPick.com. And if you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping eights, Use the promo code OSHO20, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-20, for $20 off using MechaNutritionStore.com. Mecha Nutrition, build a better you. Every time I 
Again, it is January 17th, 2020. January is typically the quietest time for Major League Baseball news. Not this year. The Houston Astros. The Houston Astros sign-stealing scandal has taken center stage, some may say, in the sports news cycle. And the buzz has not died down one bit, not even a little bit, since the league announced its punishments on Monday. In fact, it has only continued to build over the last three days. So A.J. Hinch and Jeff Lunau of the Astros are out. Alex Cora of the Red Sox and former bench coach of the Astros, he's out. Carlos Beltran and the New York Mets. Carlos Beltran didn't manage one game for the New York Mets. Not one game as a manager. He's out of New York. All, they all lost their respective manager and general manager positions due to their connection to the scandal. Now comes an entirely new conspiracy uh, conspiracy theory that is making the rounds after a Twitter account that claimed to be Carlos Beltran's niece suggested that Astros players wore buzzers under their jerseys that would signal which pitch was coming. And keen observers and Twitter sleuths like uh, a quickly jumped on the bandwagon here, leading to another uh, uproar, you could say, of anger and disbelief and just frustration around the league. Uh, some players even last night on Twitter, Cody Bellinger said, for the sake of the game, I hope this isn't true. If it is true, there needs to be major consequences to the players. I mean, that completely ruins the integrity of the game. Mike Clevenger said they shouldn't feel comfortable looking at any of us in the eye, let alone on the field. And any other MLB player feel different. They can get it, too. So we'll talk about Mike Clevenger uh, a little later in the show, maybe after the Victor Rojas interview. Uh, but uh, Alex Wood even said, I would rather face a player that was taking steroids than face a player that knew every pitch was coming. That's an interesting take. Evan Longoria said, what happened to the term cheaters never prosper? Chris Archer said, I'm in a mood right now after hearing the latest BS teams have been up to. Marcus Stroman said, sheesh. Pete Alonzo, he said, yes, there's a lot of craziness in the baseball world right now. At, at least at the end of the day, we have to do our job on the field and win the battle between the lines. Great things are to come this year. The boys will be ready. Let's go Mets. All right. Danny Valencia, he said, these reports of cheating from the Astros are next level. What a joke. If this is, in fact, 100% true, then the World Series in 2017 should be stripped, as well as all the individual awards, including Jose Altuve's uh, Most Valuable Player Award, which Aaron Judge took his congratulation photo that he posted back in 2017 on his Instagram. He took it down after uh, hearing about this because the Astros did cheat during that 2017 postseason. And, uh, of course, Jose Altuve, the three-time American League batting champion and AL MVP in 2017, like I just said, has been at the center of all these new allegations. So he issued an immediate denial on Thursday through Scott Boris saying that, and he quoted, never have I ever worn an electric device designed to tip pitches. And Major League Baseball says it explored wearable devices during the investigation but found no evidence to sustain it, even though all these pictures kind of makes it seem like they are wearing stuff under their jerseys. But uh, again, that hasn't stopped players from taking shots at Altuve and his teammates. And that also includes the always outspoken Trevor Bauer, now pitcher for the Cincinnati Reds. He actually uh, subtweeted uh, John Boy's tweet from John Boy Media, who uh, uh, broke the news. Bel so apparently Beltran's niece was tweeting about the buzzers. It, it's not Beltran's niece. It's not Carlos Beltran's niece. It's a burner account. It could be one of the players, Gary Sheffield Jr. Gary Sheffield's kid actually said it's one of the Astros players. That's what he thinks. Uh, but the tweet from John Boy says Beltran's niece tweeting about the buzzers, which matches up 
up with what I've been told from about five different parties. And that's what Trevor Bauer had to say. He says, I've heard this from multiple parties too for what it's worth. And he said, y'all had to know this was coming. Limited edition. Get yours before it gets suspended from my shop this year. Uh, it's Houston with a Band-Aid on it. Buzzers and Band-Aids, ladies and gents. That's pretty cool. Tommy Pham uh, tweeted out. He said that uh, from MLB with so much coming out uh, publicly about the Altuve homer to end the ALCS and other incidents, uh, that MLB explored wearable devices during the investigation but found no evidence. Uh, he actually sent the picture of Altuve zoomed up, and there's obviously this giant... Uh, what you could probably call like a giant lump on his jersey seems like something you something you could tape in there. He, he drew a giant yellow circle around it. Needless to say, though, this story isn't going anywhere anytime soon. This is just the beginning. Like everybody thought this was the end on Monday when Hinch and Lunau got let go by Crane. This is far from over. This is going to go into the next year. I mean. With spring training less than one month away, the anger is not going to subside before the new campaign officially begins. In fact, it could keep right on building as the new information comes to the surface. If that turns out to be true, this might be the most tension-filled season in Major League Baseball history. And A.J. Hinch may have gone on record saying that he had nothing to do with it. And everyone, after seeing all the evidence, believes that. I think A.J. Hinch meant no wrong here. But he knew about it, and he didn't have the balls to stop it. He knew Alex Cora was leading this scheme, and he decided not to put an end to it. Remember when he was in Arizona with the Diamondbacks? A.J. Hinch had a really tough time communicating with his players to the point where he really had no chemistry with them leading to his exit. So maybe he felt that he was going to affect his relationship with the players if he didn't put a stop to it. But if that's true, if that's the case... That's a pretty insecure thing that's stopping you from doing the right thing. And of course, there's Alex Cora and Carlos Beltran. I mean, look, will A.J. Hinch ever manage in baseball again? I'd say there's a fair chance he manages in baseball again. I don't think he wants this to define him. I, I actually think he's going to go on an apology tour as well this offseason. So I don't think A.J. Hinch, who was in a very tough position this year, will get hosed too bad for this after this year ban. But you bet your ass that... Alex Cora of the Boston Red Sox will never, ever manage a Major League Baseball team again. He was the main antagonist, not, not one, but two cheating scandals for two World Series championship teams, the Houston Astros in 2017 and the Boston Red Sox in 2018. Houston, of course, got busted for using an illegal camera in center field while also using algorithms to determine what pitch was coming, and then players would bang on a trash can if it was an off-speed pitch. If it was a fastball, they'd do nothing. Danny Farquhar, when he was with the White Sox, is a prime example of what happened. He was pitching in a game in Houston in August of 2017, and he actually heard the banging of the trash cans, and he was able to mix up his signs and get out of the inning. I think uh, Evan Gaddis was there at the plate. Danny Farquhar was able to strike out Evan Gaddis after picking up on what was going down. And the whole plan was orchestrated by Alex Cora, who was the Red Sox, or excuse me, the Astros bench coach in 2017. And then in 2018, Cora was then hired by the Red Sox to be their next manager. And in his first season, the Red Sox win a franchise best 108 games en route to their ninth world title in franchise history. And they're also going to be uh, uh, investigated for sign stealing via the video replay room. This is the Boston Red Sox we're talking about now. So as it turns out, 
Boston was sending a correspondent into the video replay room, which is right next to the dugout, right next to the clubhouse, to look at their opponent's signs and was relaying the signs back to the dugout. And then when a player reached second base, when a Red Sox player reached second base, the runner would relay the signs to the hitter, which I guess in today's Major League Baseball by account is illegal. Though some may consider that gamesmanship, which I personally do, the Astros were, they're playing cheaters. Cheater, cheater, pumpkin eater. The Houston Astros were caught doing uh, the same thing, actually, in 2018 that Boston was doing. And now in 2019, the Astros may be uh, using buzzers. They may have used buzzers, at least two players that we know of. The only two players that are being singled out as of right now for buzzers are Jose Altuve and Alex Bregman. I know there's pictures out there that Josh Reddick may have been wearing a wire after the Astros won the pennant, but I think that was confirmed to be confetti by John Boy and other media outlets on a Twitter. But I'll, I'll just say this. If the buzzer thing is true, this dates back all the way to 2017. Because if you see in the Altuve picture that Tommy Pham posted on Twitter, Altuve is supposedly wearing something under his jersey during the 2017 postseason. Because the 2017 postseason patch was on his right arm. And then in 2019, Game 6 of the ALCS against Geraldus Chapman and the Yankees, Altuve hits the biggest home run of his life, sending Houston to the World Series, walk-off two-run home run, and he's seen rounding third base. Uh, he's telling his teammates not to rip his jersey off, and then he quickly goes into the clubhouse as his teammates celebrate on the field by the mound. The rest of his team is celebrating their pennant win. They're going to the World Series for the second time in three years. Jose Altuve immediately runs into the clubhouse to change out of his jersey while Ken Rosenthal is waiting for the interview. I mean, this whole thing is an absolute mess. It's a travesty. It's definitely a black eye for the game of baseball. And to be quite honest, our current commissioner, Rob Manfred, is probably hiding so many other facts that aren't being reported on at the moment. He probably has so much more dirt that will absolutely not only ruin the Houston Astros, it'll ruin Jose Altuve potentially, Alex Bregman, and in essence, ruin Rob Manfred, which is why Major League Baseball has been hesitant to go after the Astros in the past. There is so much more to talk about, though, regarding this scandal, and we'll dive completely into it in the next couple of weeks here on The O Show with Jeremy Evans, the founder of California Sports Lawyer. We're going to dive into all the details regarding the Houston Astros and what exactly they are guilty of when it comes to uh, the baseball law. So for now, though, let's get to our Flashback Friday interview of the week. It's the play-by-play broadcaster for the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim and Fox Sports West. He's also the founder and owner of Big Fly Apparel. It's Victor Rojas. This interview took place a few months back. We talked about his early career in broadcasting with the Diamondbacks, starting Big Fly Apparel, how he landed his current role in Anaheim, and so much more with Victor Rojas right after this quick word from TickPick. Oh, tick pick. I thought you said 
tick pick. No hidden fees. Download today. Sorry about that, man. Oh, no problem, man. I wish I had a burger right now. Yeah, dude, I was sitting there trying to make the patties, and I'm like, God, I, I know he's going to call here in a second. I was trying to hurry. <laughs> yeah, no problem. No problem at all. I guess I'll jump right into it. My first question, obviously, like the likes of the Barry Bondses and the Roger Clemens of the world, regardless if they ever get into the Hall of Fame or not, are you one of those guys that says they were one of the best at what they did, they deserve to get in regardless, or are you one of those guys that's going to plague them for what they did um, off the field and say that they were a disgrace to the game? But, you know, I mean, whether whether they were disgraced to the game or otherwise, I, I think that's that's really left up to the individual i you know personally it didn't affect me you know uh i grew up in this game and, and been around a long time and um you know every era has its uh its group of guys that did something whether it's amphetamines or otherwise i think steroids is a completely completely different animal that uh that major league baseball kind of got into in the 90s and it's unfortunate that it's uh you know this little cloud that's uh that's covered the game and even, you know, every year this time, uh, well, really starting in November, whenever the ballots go out, uh, that, that talk comes up because of Roger and because of Barry being on the ballot and where they are at as far as their numbers are concerned. I think the shame of it all is, um, you know, Roger to a certain extent because he had uh, – his numbers were really, really good. Uh, he had taken a little bit of a downturn uh, in Toronto. Uh, but as far as Barry is concerned, Barry, I mean – you take out the years, uh, you know, the so-called steroid years, and his numbers at that point were just absolutely ridiculous. So he was already uh, on the verge of, you know, a Hall of Fame career, if not already a Hall of Famer to be at that point. Um, so being tainted with this whole steroid cloud is an unfortunate situation. But, um, you know, these guys kind of brought it on their own. And when you've got uh, individuals voting for something such as this, uh, you know, everyone interprets the rules to voting for Hall of Fame players uh, in their own way, it's subject to interpretation, and they're going to vote the way they uh, they want to. So I know I'm kind of giving you a long convoluted answer, but as a as a as a spectator, uh, look, it was fun to watch. Uh, the home runs were ridiculous. I think everyone knew at that point. I know I, I certainly did that something was going on. Uh, Baseballs were being shot off of bats like golf balls off a driver. Uh, it, it was kind of insane. And uh, But uh, it's an area that Major League Baseball is going to have to continue to live with uh, up until maybe one of these days that Barry gets in or Roger, whomever, uh, finally gets in. I mean, look at Rocky Palmero. I mean, he's completely uh, gone. Uh, nobody even talks about him or Sammy Sosa. Uh, as guys that potential Hall of Fame careers when you just talk about the numbers that they eventually put up. So uh, I, I think it's up to the beholder, and I think everyone will kind of just uh, – I think the further and further you get away from it as well from a, from a time standpoint, I think things usually tend to kind of start to fade away. I, I think those guys will eventually get in. Yeah, especially Roger Clemens, statistically-wise, I could see him just fading out. I don't know about him. Barry Bonds, on the other hand, is the home run king. And that's always going to stand until one of these commissioners these days takes that away from him. Who knows? I hope he gets in, honestly. He is the home run king. Uh, we're going to have to wait and see. Uh, about you, you are talking about it yesterday. You had your photo shoot yesterday. Talk to me about your new uh, Big Fly uh, gear project you guys are doing. Uh, well, you know, we've been kind of, uh, the wife and I have been talking about this uh, for uh, several years now. And uh, about 15, 16 months ago, we got a little bit more serious about it. Uh, kind of came up with uh, kind of a theme and a logo and, and the like, and, and uh, we wanted to kind of decide uh, 
where we wanted to go and we wanted to make sure all our ducks in a row and so you know big fly obviously is a, is a home run is it, it's a nickname for a home run something that i've uh, used since i played minor league baseball and then when i got into broadcasting i used it as well and still do to this day uh, but the uh, really the premise behind it uh, the ethos if you will of our, our of our company is um, on the apparel side of things is we, it's about the home run. It's a celebration of a home run. Uh, it's a show-stopping moment in baseball games. And uh, I, there's so much history when it comes to Major League Baseball and the home runs, whether it's Hack Wilson or Babe Ruth or Hank Aaron, Willie Mays, it doesn't matter. Uh, there's a connection to the game's past. And I've always been a guy that uh, I, I love the retro vintage stuff. I love watching old films uh, and the like. And so it's one of those things that... Um, we wanted to kind of put something together that wasn't just about big fly. It was just really the underlying theme was the home run. And so we've got, uh, uh, we have a designer that uh, come up with these uh, unique designs and a uh, little bit of everything. And, um, you know, the other, the other reason we started it too is kind of uh, uh, show our kids the entrepreneurial spirit and kind of how to grow a business or how to start a business, grow one, um, showing profit and loss statements, kind of get them involved in the uh, in the uh, purchasing of product and how, how you deal with designers and the files that you got to get to a printer and so on and so forth, um, so that they understand business a little bit. My daughter's a sophomore, my son's an eighth grader, and um, I kind of wanted to get this to be a family endeavor, and uh, we're having fun with it. You know, it's uh, something right now that we're kind of doing slowly and. You know, if it takes off, great. If it doesn't, no, no harm, no foul. For me, it's it's a, it's a life lesson that my kids are getting that uh, kids at their age certainly aren't getting right now. Oh, that's for sure. Great idea. I mean, I certainly didn't have that three or four years ago. So, um, so is it ba- is it morally going to be uh, like graphic t shirts, shorts, yeah. sweatshirts? Yeah, it's an apparel apparel company. You know, you have sweatshirts, uh, hoodies, uh, crew necks, uh, t shirts, uh, women tanks. Uh, there'll be hats as well. So it's just a straight up uh, apparel company. It's uh, obviously baseball uh, related, um, but uh, for me, it's just. Uh, uh, really kind of a passion that I've had for a while and uh, we finally put pen to paper and decided to, to go forward and, and to try to do something with it. And so you're starting this broadcasting with the Angels. You obviously grew up playing the game. Uh, you went from playing the game to broadcasting. Did you have any other like dreams or ideas growing up that you may have wanted to pursue other than baseball, like outside of baseball? Well, you know, with, with Dad having played for as long as he did and then Growing up with three brothers, so four boys in the house, we were kind of a, a baseball household, and that was kind of our, our thing. Obviously, uh, you know, in the 70s and 80s, the mindset uh, certainly not like it is today, where it's a factory 24-7. I mean, my son's kind of going through it now that, uh, you know, it's, it's baseball and year-round. Well, we didn't have that. We grew up in Kansas, so we had a small little window to play, uh, you know, 20 games in high school, and then, you know, we played summer ball, legion ball, so I played. And uh, we played that schedule until we were knocked out, essentially. And then you would kind of rest and wouldn't crank it back up until January for, for high school season again. So um, I, I didn't think about it 24-7, and that's what I wanted to do. I think deep down, uh, I like the idea of becoming a Major League Baseball player. And so as I got older and got into college, and, uh, obviously the focus was that. And I had the opportunity to play minor league baseball, and uh, it was fun while it lasted. And I had to get a job, you know, and I just got into a bunch of different things and uh, 
Uh, I was able, fortunate enough to, to kind of round out my, my background as, from a marketing perspective and um, from a merchandising perspective before I decided on a very late in life to, to kind of get into broadcasting. And um, we're fortunate that we, uh, my wife and I decided to kind of roll the dice and, and, and go to Newark, New Jersey and start independent ball there and, and in broadcasting and uh, I've been very fortunate to only spend two seasons in the minor leagues before I got my first big league job with the Arizona Diamondbacks in 2003. Now, I mean, you already basically just touched up on it, but like, walk me through like the experience growing up. Your dad, former big league player, you college pitcher, you were in the Angels system. Was it the initial plan to uh, go pro in baseball? Once I got to college, for sure, I think the plan was, uh, you know, a lot of conversations with my dad. He at the time was uh, working with the Angels. Uh, as a matter of fact, in '88, I was still in college. He was managing the Angels, uh, and so that was kind of a, a thrill, uh, not only for him and the dream come true for him, but a thrill for me as I got a chance to spend that summer with him in Southern California and kind of be with him on an everyday basis. And it certainly solidified my my drive and desire to to eventually uh, aspire to get to uh, the major leagues as a player. Um, and so, you know, that's, that's kind of the, the work that you put forth to, to try to, to accomplish those goals, just like anything else. Um, you know, like I said, I had a chance to do it. I think my work ethic was something that uh, certainly, if I had the work ethic uh, then that I have today, um, I, without question, you know, barring any injuries, I think I had the talent to play Major League Baseball. Um, but I didn't. And I think that's, uh, you know, that's on me. And I have no regrets. It's unfortunate that uh, that's, I, I kind of, I expected my talent uh, alone to carry me as opposed to, you know, having to put forth the work and uh, lesson learned. And uh, I certainly haven't uh, had that affect me uh, once again in my professional career because, uh, you know, I kind of, I lived through that hard lesson. So, uh, but dad never, you know, to any of us really, he never really forced baseball upon us. It was just one of those things that was there. Um, you know, he retired at 77, so I was in fifth grade at that point, and I got a chance to see him play, but it was never one of those things of, uh, of uh, you know, he, he hammered home the point. You know, he realized how hard it was uh, to, to kind of do these things and play baseball and the like, and how difficult it is to get to that point. And so it's one of those things where he just he, he wanted us to be happy, do something, and uh, put forth the effort and be happy doing it. And uh, he never once uh, kind of put that claim in to say, hey, you try baseball, you got to do this. Not to any of us. And, you know, three of us, three of the four boys were fortunate enough to play minor league ball. My brother's still, uh, he's managing down in Venezuela. Uh, he managed the Double A Royals team in Northwest Arkansas last year, so there's two of, uh, of the four that have uh, somehow made it to, to baseball and kind of made it a career in baseball. Yeah, I mean, well said. I mean, I have a few buddies who grew up with family members, fathers in the big leagues. They say the same thing. They're not forced to play. It's not forced upon them. It was just they were around it their entire lives. They grew up to love it, and now they're as talented as, well, maybe as talented as their fathers once were in college. I had the experience to live with um, Jake Boone over the summer, Brett Boone's son. Yeah. And he's, he's um, like, a very talented infielder. And his, I mean, obviously, he always says, like, he's, um, if he ends up going pro, he's going to be the fourth generation behind his uncle, his dad, his grandfather, great-grandfather. And he's, he's like, I really don't care. Like, I love baseball. I hope it pans out, but it's not, it's not forced upon us. Um, I love doing this. If it doesn't work out, I got other stuff. So, yeah, well said. No, there's no doubt about it. That's the beauty of it. You know what? It, just, it really goes across through 
many professions. You know, I mean, if, you, if your dad's a doctor, you kind of grow up in that field. And, uh, you know, maybe you aspire to be a doctor or, or at least something in that field because you're around it. You're around a lawyer, whatever the case may be. Um, you kind of, but you have to, you have to have a passion for it. And if you don't have a passion for it, uh, you know, you, you got to do something else because uh, you're not going to be happy uh, doing something, trying to fulfill someone else's dreams or have someone living vicariously through you is certainly not the way to go about, you know, choosing a career path. And uh, it's something uh, I, I tell my son now, he's kind of struggling between baseball and tennis and trying to decide which one he wants to do. He loves both of them, but he knows that he's getting to that point where he kind of has to focus a little bit on one versus the other if he's going to have any chance of kind of if he wants to play in college or whatever the case may be. But I've, I've told him a million times that I don't care if you play either one of them. I, I just want you to be happy, you know, uh, and, and, and whatever it is that you choose, um, then just, you know, put forth the effort and, and say, you know what, I'm going to give it all so that when you look back on it, you don't sit there and say, you know what, I should have done this or I should have done that or I could have done that. Uh, you can just say, you know what, I gave it my best and I just wasn't good enough. And you can live you can live with those things. And I think it's important for, for parents nowadays to kind of to kind of really, I guess, reality check their, their kids. I, I think, unfortunately, because of the era that we're in and because of the money um, that pro athletes are making right now, that parents really start to put the cart ahead of the horse, even though their kid may not be as talented as uh, they, they themselves think they are. And uh, I think that sets up kids for, for disappointment. And, uh, you know, but that's just kind of the nature of uh, our society today. Oh, yeah, for sure. And I'm around those kids, too, where their dads just basically burn them out of playing baseball. I mean, yeah. I've seen it so many times over. But you mentioned uh, your brother um, managing in the minor leagues. Uh, According to Wikipedia, my favorite source, you dove into a little bit of coaching as well. What was your experience like with first the Upper Deck Company and then the Florida Marlins? Well, the Upper Deck Company was, that was, uh, so after my first season, I was living in Southern California, I was married at the top, and uh, my daughter hadn't been born yet. So I got an off-season job at Upper Deck. Upper Deck used to be based in Yorba Linda. And, uh, and uh, so I got fortunate enough to get a job there. Uh, and it paid pretty well, you know. Minor league baseball, I was making eight hundred bucks a month uh, in Arizona Fall League my first season. And uh, when I got my contract in January of the following season, they gave me a twenty five dollars raise, so I was going to make eight twenty five a month versus what I was, you know, getting at Upper Deck, which wasn't King's ransom, but all things considered, uh, you know, benefits and the like. Uh, I decided to stay at Upper Deck, and I made the choice to do that. And uh, so I. I basically uh, decided to just kind of walk away from the game uh, for, for a period of time and uh, enjoyed my time. Upper Deck eventually moved down to Carlsbad, California, and I didn't, I didn't want to move down that far. And so I decided to, when we moved to Florida, uh, to be closer to my parents, that's when I tried to talk to my dad about finding a way of getting into baseball somehow. He told me to go to the winter meetings. Uh, they were in Nashville, and... Uh, that was in 92 and the expansion Marlins were coming into play in 93 and so I went there and I spoke to Dave Dombrowski and I spoke to Marcel Lashman Marcel was the pitching coach at the time and uh, I told him that I'd like to be the, the bullpen catcher uh, for the team and so I ended up getting hired and uh, what an experience that was you know a guy that uh, spent one season playing minor league baseball and being out of it to all of a sudden, I'm in the big leagues with a with an expansion team, and it was a great learning experience for me. 
um, the following season. I got hired by the Texas Louisiana League that was kicking off um, with Jack Lazorco, the former pitcher, was the commissioner of that league. And so he hired me to work for uh, for Alan Ashby, the former big league catcher, who was going to be managing down in Rio Grande Valley. And because of my uh, being bilingual and the like, they wanted me some, someone that could speak the language down by uh, uh, the border down there in McAllen, uh, Texas. And so we went down there and had a lot of fun. I, I got a chance to be a pitching coach and uh, enjoyed it and tried to apply as much of the things that I learned from Marcel and the guys uh, with the Marlins the previous year there. And uh, in 2014, the strike happened. My contract got purchased by the Toronto Blue Jays. I went to spring training for them. And then once everything was settled, I, uh, I was done with baseball. Uh, once the, the players came back, I decided I needed to get a real job. And that's when I got into the, the private sector. So, um, you know, twists and turns. And that's one thing that uh, I've been fortunate enough in, in my life, especially uh, after baseball, is that uh, I've been able to pivot. Uh, quite a bit and be able to kind of stay on my toes uh, and, and be able to kind of adapt to my surroundings uh, because you, you kind of have to when you're moving from job to job or you're trying to kind of create a sort of career that uh, you had no idea you were going to have to be pursuing at such an early age. And um, I was fortunate enough to do that. And I've worked in the National Hockey League. I've worked for a minor league baseball team in their front office. I worked for a, a golf instructor, Jim McLean. I got some internet experience as well with an internet startup company. So all those, all those things and the experiences that I gained in the late '90s kind of made me who I am today. And then all of a sudden, I decided to go into broadcasting like a, like a kook, thinking that I could do it. You know, again, I, I struck uh, a very lucky chord with somebody that, uh, that here I am going into my 17th season calling Major League Baseball that uh, that uh, been fortunate enough to to kind of make that decision when I did with my wife. Before I answer, or before I ask you this next question, I just got the alert on my phone. Mariano is the first unanimous Hall of Famer in nice. Major League Baseball history. So nice. there you go. That's uh, yeah, I'm, I'm excited for him. That's great. So sure. the next question, obviously you just said you went through all of these jobs before you actually went into uh, broadcasting. So... Tell me the experience, what it was like moving to Newark and being the GM and broadcaster for the Newark Bears. Uh, yeah, it's, it's one of those things that uh, I got hired to be. So what happened was when I got this whim uh, in 2000 and uh, really 2000, in the fall of 2000, uh, of trying to become a broadcaster, going, I shouldn't say become a broadcaster. I, I wanted to try broadcasting somehow. And so... Uh, what I wanted to do was, uh, I figured I was still young enough that I could call independent league teams. You know, I have friends still managing or, or running a team in the Texas Louisiana League, thinking that I could, uh, as a full-time independent league baseball player, get paid doing that. And then on the downtime, I can work for the radio station or go, you know, try to get into the business and learn the business somehow. And so, I you know, made a lot of calls. I was fortunate enough that I had a friend that was working as the third base coach for the Newark Bears. And so I reached out to him. He told me to send my resume. Uh, and he forwarded on my resume to Rick Roan, uh, the former Yankee catcher, who owned uh, the Bears at the time. And I remember Rick calling me and basically saying, listen, I don't, I don't need you as a player. You're a little bit old for all this stuff. But... Uh, uh, but I like your experience working in professional sports. Would you be interested in coming up here as an assistant general manager 
independent ball. You got to put the team together. You could be responsible for since you have contacts in baseball. Put the team together, and then you can work some color on the radio broadcast because they already had a, a play-by-play guy. And so, I, after a long discussion with my wife, we decided to make the move up there to Newark. Um, she worked as the office manager, so she got hired as well. And uh, you know, we got up there late January, early February, and uh, a month before, well, a month after I got there, the play-by-play guy quit. He went somewhere else. So the season didn't start till early May anyway, because it's a short season, a fairly short season with independent ball. And uh, I became a play-by-play guy with zero experience and, and no idea how to do things. Um, but I kind of figured it out. I tried to figure it out on my own. And uh, as the season progressed, once we got going, I kind of started to get my legs underneath me a little bit. And then, lo and behold, our GM got fired. So then I became the general manager by default as well. So the the difficult part of independent ball, trying to do both things, is calling a game and seeing one of your guys get hurt, realizing that tomorrow you're going to have to be on the phone to try to find a replacement for the guy that just got hurt. Um, That that, that was the hardest thing, and keeping my emotions out of it. And, um, you know, it was a fun experience. Uh, That offseason in 2002, I got hired by MLB.com. I did a radio show with Jonathan Mayo for uh, for a couple of years, um, and I was uh, I did that Monday through Friday. So I'd go into the city, so I peeled back my schedule with the Bears just to do games, and became an assistant GM once again. Um, and then I was allowed to go to Milwaukee did the All Star game in Milwaukee on MLB.com, and did Arizona Fall League games in uh, 2002 as well. Um, uh, for, for the first time, I should say. And then I, I got connected with a, with an agent through a friend of mine. And uh, lo and behold, uh, December, January, the Diamondbacks were looking for a radio analyst because uh, Rod Allen had left to go to the Tigers. And my agent at the time was representing Kevin Kennedy, and he pitched Kevin Kennedy. But Kevin was doing Fox Saturday baseball stuff, and the Diamondbacks wanted somebody that could do 162 games on radio. Wow. <laughs> And so, on a whim, he threw my my disc out to them and said, "Listen, this guy grew up in the game. He's got a name. He's bilingual. Uh, he's pretty good. Uh, he's still raw, still learning." And that's how I got my break. The Diamondbacks flew me out. I interviewed. And, uh, I got hired. And uh, the rest, as they say, is history. I was just uh, fortunate enough that Scott Geyer uh, with the Arizona Diamondbacks listened to a CD, heard some promise and uh, decided to, to kind of give me a, a shot. Talk to me about that experience with the Diamondbacks. It was in 2003. You actually did 162 games on radio? Yeah. Uh, actually, it turned out, because Tom Brenneman at the time was still doing the TV, um, Tom uh, would leave to go do Fox games. And so, <laughs> but actually, what happened the first time was we were in Colorado, and Tom's wife went into labor. And so Greg Schulte, our play-by-play guy, had to run over because Tom had to bolt. And we were in Colorado, and I ended up doing the rest of the game by myself on radio, which, gosh, in the minor leagues, that's all you ever do is work games by yourself. No big deal. Uh, but the Diamondbacks liked the idea of when Tom leaves, they could save money by not hiring someone else. They would move Greg over, and I would do the games by myself. And then later on that season, Joe Gershield, a senior who since passed away, had some health issues, so I did a couple of games on TV as an analyst as well. So, so I, I got originally hired to do 162 
on radio as an analyst, so no play-by-play whatsoever. Um, and uh, that's another story. Kudos to Tom Brenneman because he would periodically come over and do some radio games when we weren't on TV. And uh, I remember he got a heater in his mouth. Uh, he, he's a smoker, or at least was at the time, and said to me, uh, hey, you, uh, you did play-by-play in, in, in the minor leagues, right? And he said, yeah. I said, why don't you do uh, you know, the fourth and the fifth innings today? I said, oh, that's fine by me. And so we kind of got into this thing when Greg Schulte came back. Greg started giving me some, uh, some innings as well, which is great for a play-by-play guy because you want the repetitions, and the main guy gets a couple of innings off, if you will. And so that's how I got my play-by-play Major League start was by Tom Brenneman saying, hey, dude, why don't you do a couple of innings tonight, you know? Yeah. And I actually weren't overly thrilled with it because, you know, they didn't run it by him, but Tom had some juice there, and, you know, he's Tom Brenneman, uh, and, uh, and they liked what they heard, and that's kind of how it evolved into later on in the year, me doing play-by-play by myself on radio when Greg would fill in for, uh, for Tom on television. I mean, 162 on radio plus analysts. With, uh, like, your schedule with the Angels can't be that hellacious, can it? It's, uh, no, it all, it's all dependent upon like national games. And uh, we're not yeah. time off. Uh, you know, my first five years with the Angels, I did them all. And we, didn't do, we don't broadcast 162 because of, you know, we're on national TV five or six times, whatever the case may be. Last year... Last year, I think it was the fewest amount of games I'd done in nine seasons. Uh, I was in the 147 range, um, which is, you know, a nice number. I don't mind doing it. I, you know, I grew up in the game. I don't mind doing it. There's right. The hard part, to be perfectly honest with you, is when you are in the midst, it's, it's, a, it's a dog season, and you're in August. Those, those are the hard games. Those are the hard seasons to, to do, you know. Um, and or, or the, the, when you're doing it every day, you know. Uh, but for the most part, you know, you got Mike Trout, now you add Shohei Otani into it. It's like, it's tough to get really, you know, worn out doing games when those guys are on the verge of doing something great every single night. Oh, for sure. And do you think Mike Trout sticks around? Do you think that the Angels eventually extend him, or do you think he'd leave in free agency? Uh, no, I, I, I think he'll eventually stick around. I, I truly, I, my heart of hearts, I truly believe that. I think he likes it there. I think the Angels obviously want him there. Um, but uh, I, I think he'll eventually stick around. Obviously, in 2010, when you joined the Angels, you had four years there in uh, Arlington with the Rangers. Tell me a little bit about that experience. You obviously love the Dallas area. I, I do like the area. You know, I had, uh, well, I was with the Diamondbacks. I had, uh, you know, it's kind of a, one of those circumstances that, uh, I, again, I, I've been very, very lucky and fortunate in my career. And uh, I was doing the fall league for another second year at MLB.com after I finished my Diamondback season. So my first year in the big leagues, we moved to Arizona. And so it was easy for me to do the fall league games out there. And uh, I remember getting a call from John Blake, who is the uh, vice president of broadcasting media relations for the, for the Rangers. Um, they had just let go of Vince Catronio, and they were looking for a radio analyst. And our games, our, our fall league games, you know, if you're – if you're in a baseball front office and you want to hear baseball games, you know, we were just webcasting. And so you would just, you know, you'd sit in your office, afternoon games, you know, they're all afternoon games for the most part in the Arizona Fall League or were. Um, you know, they're listening to your broadcast. And so that's, that's kind of how it happened. He, was, he heard my broadcast, um, called me and asked me if I'd be interested in, in uh, talking to them about their, their open position. And, uh, I still don't know why to this day the Diamondbacks 
I understand why they gave me a one-year deal uh, because I was a no-name, you know, first-time big league broadcaster, and I got it. But they gave me a mutual option for year number two. And, uh, you know, as we got into August of that year, because I was doing TV, I was doing play by play by myself, I remember them calling me in the office, and they wanted to pick up my option. They wanted to know if I would do more games by myself next year. And I asked them how many, and it all depended on Tommy's schedule. They said 20 to 25, and I asked, you know, would I be able to get, you know, paid extra for doing games by myself in the big league? And they said, well, no, because the contract's already written, the option's already there. And so all I did was I kind of postponed my decision in the offseason. No real reason why I did that, but I just did. And then here come the Rangers calling. They asked me if I want to interview. I go and interview, and then they offer me a three-year deal. So uh, I never picked up my side of the option the Diamondbacks, and that's how I ended up with Texas. And so I had a three-year deal. Then they gave me a four-year extension. Uh, love and life. I got to do the middle three innings, uh, working with Hall of Famer Eric Nadell, uh, the guy that uh, I, I learned everything that I know today from. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, was, I, I, I would probably still be calling Ranger games today. Who knows if it would be on TV or radio, but I'd still be with the Rangers had the had MLB Network not contacted me and asked me to, to kind of go there and, and do a screen test with, uh, with Harold Reynolds and the guys. And, uh, you know, had I not been hired by them, I'd still be doing Ranger games. And talk to me a little bit about that MLB Network, because when they launched in uh, 2009, you were actually the first, like, on-air personality to appear on camera. So tell me a little bit about that experience as, like, the host of Hot Stove, you're on MLB Tonight. Talk to me a little bit about your experience there as well as getting to know the guys. I mean, obviously, you've been around the game forever. You probably knew most of the guys. But tell me a little bit about that experience with uh, MLB Network. Well, it was uh, it was a lot of fun. And, again, the lucky stick uh, kind of hit me there because I got hired. I was, I was, you know, I was, I don't even know where I, where I was in the pecking order as far as uh, hires. But I knew that in early December when they went to the winter meetings uh, in Las Vegas, Mavis Virgin had already been hired. So it had uh, Harold, uh, Hazel May, um, and I think at that time Barry Larkin was already there, um, and uh, Al Leiter, I believe, were the, the guys who were already kind of in the fold, if you will. And so I got hired, and it turned out that uh, Maddie was still doing Fox things. Uh, had the, I want to say Fiesta Bowl assignment. So he was not going to be available to launch the network on January 1st. And so uh, they, they they decided to go with me instead. So that was just kind of how that fell into my lap, um, which was strange onto itself just because I had never done TV. I mean, like mm-hmm. I filled in for Josh Lewin on a couple of, to do games, but I had never done, I never hosted a desk or read a, you know, room written script or right. or what a, I had no idea what a jib was uh, you know and so I had to kind of learn on the fly and it was uh, you know I had, I had my ups and downs there's no doubt about it because kind of getting into a, a side of the business that I knew nothing about it was a completely different world than you know being a, a number two guy on radio calling games and so uh you know, I, I was fortunate enough to do that for a season. I was planning on going back and being there for, for a period of time. And then, uh, um, unfortunately, Rory Marcus passed away uh, in January of 2010. And, 
you know, we had heard at the network that uh, the Angels and Fox Sports West were just going to fill in uh, because it was because of the tragic nature of, of Rory's passing and because of you know, how close it was to the season, they were just going to fill in uh, over the course of the year. And then at the end of the year, they were going to do a, a true search. Um, and uh, that's what I thought until I got a random call from Tim Mead and the Angels one morning. And uh, I looked at my phone and I remember looking at my wife and I'm like, Tim Mead from the Angels is calling me. I'm like, I wonder what I, you know, I wonder if I said something about the Angels the night before on, on Hot Stove. You know, I had no yeah. idea uh, if I said something wrong or incorrect or whatever. And so he called me and asked me about the, the position and uh, he told me that Artie Moreno wanted to know if I'd be interested in flying out to Arizona and meeting him and, and talking to him about the, the position. And I said, sure. So I went out there and um, within 48 hours, we struck a deal and my, I got hired March 3rd. Uh, and I basically had to be out to uh, Arizona and then California by the end of March. So that kind of happened very quickly um, but uh, and came out of nowhere. So and here I am. Uh, this is going to be my 10th year with, uh, with Mark Ubiza. So, yeah, it was 2010-2011. So after two years with the Angels, you get hired by TBS, you get to handle 2011 NLDS between the Diamondbacks and the Brewers. I guess my question is, how different, is, I mean, I'm sure not much preparation-wise, but how different is it atmosphere-wise calling a playoff series as opposed to regular season series? Well, uh, it, it's, a, it's a different world, obviously. Uh, that situation, I was supposed to be uh, a sideline reporter for a series uh, in the American League. I forget which series it was. And... Uh, what happened was uh, Ernie Johnson's son, I believe, had to go to the hospital. And so Ernie had to back out of calling games. And so the shuffle, be, you know, that's how the, the shuffle occurred and opened up the, the Brewers Diamondbacks. And so they moved me into that series to work with Joe Simpson of the Braves. And, uh, man, what a, what a, I mean, after the first two games, I'm thinking, because you know, we get, you get paid by the game, right? So we're thinking, a uh, five-game series, this series is over in three. I'm not going to get paid for the full five. Well, the Milwaukee wins those two games. We go to Arizona, and then awesome two games there. And all of a sudden, we're, we're in the middle of yeah. an unbelievable series that ends up with a walk-off in game yeah. five in Milwaukee. I mean, it's just, just an awesome experience. You, you go from two dog games thinking you're going to home in a couple of days to – I, I don't want this to end, you know. Um, but what a what a thrill it was to call those games and uh, just seeing uh, T plush cross the play with a winning run. It's just the uh, it's just great great series all around. Great atmosphere, man. Milwaukee was jumping. So was Arizona, and uh, I couldn't have asked for a better uh, playoff series. My one and only playoff series that I've ever done uh, to have it be such a great one. Well, that's crazy. A Brewers win by the walk-off. Yeah. Great call. In your broadcasting career, what is your all-time favorite call in any game situation? Uh, man, I, I, don't, I don't know that I have a particular favorite. Um, I've, been, I've been very fortunate to call you know, a couple of no-hitters. Um, I guess the milestone stuff's kind of cool. I, I, had, I had the call of Sammy Sosa's 600th home run against the Cubs here in, uh, in Texas against uh, with the, when he was with the Rangers. Yeah. And then uh, I've, I've had the opportunity to call uh, 
Albert's uh, 500, 600, and 3,000 hits. So it's it just been, it, it's tough to really pinpoint any one particular call, uh, per se, but uh, all of them have been a lot of fun. I've just had some very special moments that, that I've, been, um, I've been fortunate enough to kind of be around. Kind of were saying it when you were younger, leading up into broadcasting. Like, what, what's behind the big fly home run call? It really, there's uh, there's nothing really behind it, to be perfectly honest with you. I, uh, it's one of those things that, uh, you know, I've always called it big fly. I mean, it's, it's, you know, in the minor leagues, you got a lot of time on your hands, and you, you say a lot of stupid things. Uh, you know, dialing eight. Uh, nobody, nobody even uses that one anymore. Right. Because uh, dialing eight, you had, in a hotel, you had to dial eight for long distance. Um, so, you know, uh, it, it, there's any number of terms that just have... Uh, Lineage going back to you know the early the turn of the century the 1900s uh, just because you know can of corn those, those type of things um, but for me uh, I think when I was kind of learning on the fly in Newark I would try different things you know just because you could you know you're not really broadcasting to a large audience other than players parents uh, and on a on a webcast and so you would just try different things and I just I just liked uh, Big Fly stuck with me just because of the, I don't know, just the explanation, the exclamation of the moment. And uh, that's, that's kind of how I've uh, always kind of evolved. And, uh, you know, I'll change it up. Uh, Non-big moments or, you know, if you're getting blown out, I don't, it's not that big of a deal. So I don't, I don't bring it out. I'll just say a home run or whatever, the 40th of the season for whomever. Um, but I, 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 home runs are exciting. I like I like getting excited for, for good things that occur in a baseball game. And so that's why I, uh, when you get a showstopper moment such as a home run, I like to make sure that uh, everyone understands what it is and that the moment uh, is really cool and fun. Like, did you have any, uh, I mean, you did mention Tom Brenneman. Uh, did you have any mentors when entering broadcasting? Yeah. Mentors? <laughs> no. I grew up listening, uh, no, because I had no idea that I was going to get into the business. Right, and so I grew up listening to Denny Matthews of the Royals just because of my dad, um, and so you know I, I guess I picked up some of his uh, when you listen to him for so long, you pick up some of his idiosyncrasies, the, you know the dry, the dry humor, the one-liners, the kind of just the, the understated joke um, or sarcasm, um, but uh, that, I never really, you know, nowadays. Or when I first got started, when I got to the big leagues, you know, with MLB.com carrying all the games and, and being able to archive them, at that point, in, you know, in 0203, I was really going through the archives, just listening to, you know, cadence and, and, and phraseology and, and the like of everybody, you know, everybody. Um, so I, 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 I probably have picked up a number of little things from a number of different people. So... Um, you know, I didn't go to school to be a broadcaster, so I didn't. I didn't ever really aspire to that side of the business. So I never really had anybody that I that I, I wanted to be like, if you will. That was Victor Rojas of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. Hopefully we'll have him back on the show here in the next few weeks before the season kicks up. 2020 Major League Baseball season. It's going to be very, very interesting. Going to be one of the most intense seasons in recent memory, uh, in past memory, in the longest memory. It's going to be the one, one of the most intense seasons, especially for the Houston Astros, especially for Jose Altuve now. Uh, we'll, be see, we'll see how many brawls there are with the Houston Astros this upcoming season. That'll do it for episode 1 
43 of the Osho. Remember, we'll have an action-packed show here next week. Jeremy Evans, the founder of California Sports Lawyer. We're going to talk about the Houston Astros, all their alleged sign-stealing, every law they broke in the game of baseball. We're also going to talk to former Villanova national champion, Daryl Reynolds going to talk about his new website. We're going to talk about his new media platform. We're going to talk about his championship season with Villanova just a few seasons ago. Uh, and remember, if you're into buying tickets, if you're going to a sports event this weekend, if you're going to a concert, Super Bowl 54 in a few weeks, remember, if you DM us at Pod on the Twitter and the Instagram, you'll have a chance to enter for a chance to win a 50% discount for your Super Bowl 54 tickets in Miami, Florida, South Beach, for either the uh, Chiefs and Titans, who are going to be the AFC Championship game on Sunday, and then, of course, the NFC Championship matchup between the 49ers and the Packers. You All you have to do is DM us at Pod on Twitter and Instagram. DM us your prediction for Super Bowl 54, and you'll enter for a chance to win a 50% discount, half off your tickets using TickPick. Dot com. Remember to use the promo code OSHOW10, capital O-S-H-O-W-10, for $10 off your next order using TickPick for any other purchases you might have. And again, if you're into banging weights, eating steaks, and sleeping eights, use the promo code OSHOW20, that's capital O-S-H-O-W-20, at MeccaNutritionStore.com. Hit it, Hootie. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.